For many of us, this is a time of joy and of hope. We can't wait to reconnect with family, with history and tradition, with a wonderful time of freedom and loving support. We can't wait to go home. There are those who fear going home, however, and there are times where going home brings back memories that are not so good, not so healing. We are reminded of the time when we didn't fit in, where we didn't measure up, where we weren't loved like we needed to be loved. Home can be a difficult place for some. The prophet Malachi tells us that even when we are in the hottest of fires, there is a presence who can make us better, who can refine and purify. John the Baptist tells us that the road home is always under construction, mountains leveled and valleys filled in to make smooth the path that leads us to our true destination, where we can live in peace and unity with all. We light these candles, the candle of hope and the candle of peace, as a sign of our assurance that though the road is hard, we believe it is worth the journey. have heard the name Elie Wiesel. Elie Wiesel is a very famous German writer, wrote of the Holocaust and also won the Nobel Prize. He talks about growing up every day after school, his mother would ask one thing. She wouldn't ask, how's your day today? She wouldn't ask, so who'd you play with? She wouldn't ask, well, what did you eat? What'd you do? How was class? She asked one and one thing only. Did you have a good question today? I loved this so much when I read it that I tried it with my own children. Yeah, you know. As soon as they got in the car, I was like, kids, did you have a good day today? And they were like, what? It did not go over well with them because they weren't used to it. You already knew that. I can't help but love that. I love this. Did you have a good question today? Because it requires us to think out of the ordinary, to think out of all the normal a million questions you have of a day. You have to get out of your routine and actually have a very, very intentional response. Did you have a good question? It also makes me think of the prophet Malachi from the Old Testament. Because the entire book is full of questions. The book of Malachi is the very last book in the Old Testament. It's only four chapters long. You can read it in one sitting. I hope you do. And you can read all of these questions because literally in the matter of 52 verses, Malachi is going to ask you 22 questions in 52 verses. In our reading today, we hear two of those questions. Let's read the scripture on the screens, Malachi 3. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, 
Indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. The two questions before us, who can stand and who can endure? But the real question Who's Malachi? For years, people have wondered, who's Malachi? And it's been decided that he's anonymous. Malachi is writing anonymously. The name Malachi actually means messenger, my messenger. And so we know that Malachi is a messenger, but we also know that Malachi is a disgruntled priest. He's a little mad. And he's writing during a time that people have been worshiping so long that already they're messing it up. They're distorting the rituals and the traditions of what we would call the church. And he's mad about it. And he begins to look at the people of faith, the people inside of the church, and he gets mad at them. Because all of the people have been worshiping Yahweh for so long that they feel like they get to decide now who's right and who's wrong. And if that weren't enough, the people around Malachi, they actually want to watch the wrath of God on all the people they think are bad. I know. And Malachi's frustrated by it. He's frustrated by a faith tradition that is being watered down, that's being changed, and by people who are giving into waves of culture instead of waves of faith. And so he begins to say, who among you should be judging? Because a messenger is coming, and the messenger of God is coming and at any moment you will have to stand and say who among you can stand and who among you can endure. And if you read the whole book of Malachi, which I'm sure you're going to do tonight, you will see that these four chapters, this is what we're constantly talking about, divine judgment and the purification of the people. Constantly, Malachi is saying, you need to be ready because the messenger will come suddenly. And that's really the real question. Malachi doesn't ask it directly, but it's implied. When will the messenger be here? I look at our train station and I see the clock. There's always a clock at a train station ticking endlessly. And based on your day, 
it's ticking really quickly or really slowly. You either have way too much time on your hands or you have not enough. And a lot of people at a train station, they're going to sit on a bench and they're going to wait for their train to arrive. And you're going to know when it's going to arrive because of the arrival schedule. The board is going to constantly tell you exactly the hour and minute. Even if it's late, that arrival schedule will change. It's easy to be at a train station and know the next arrival. What's harder to do is to wait for the one who is to come. Because that hour we do not know. And Malachi is saying you need to live a life so that every day you're ready for that arrival. And God will come with a refiner's fire and with fuller's soap. That's how I know, though, that Malachi and my maternal grandmother would have gotten along very well. My maternal grandmother, her answer to everything was to get a bar of soap and get clean. I would tell my grandmother I didn't feel good. Something was hurting. She would say, well, go find that bar of soap and go get clean. If it was my birthday or somebody's anniversary or we were going to celebrate something big, she would say, now go grab that bar of soap and get clean. It did not matter what was going on, good or bad. It was always the same. She would listen to you, but then she would say, get that bar of soap and go get clean. If she said it to me one time, she said it to me a thousand times. Marion, it doesn't matter how much money you have or you don't have. You find a bar of soap and you stay clean. (laughs) (laughs) And here we have this prophet telling us the same thing. It does not matter what others are doing. You need to stay purified for your Lord. God will come with a refiner's fire. In case you don't know about the refining process, I'll tell you a little bit about it. A refiner's fire, it burns off the parts of metal that are not needed. Only to strengthen what is left. Any good refiner knows to burn off the part that is not needed to strengthen what is left and to give great focus to what is left. What are the things as individuals that need to burn off? What are the parts of our lives, the unhelpful conversations the prejudice that keeps us weak. What are those things that are not needed and what should be left for us to strengthen? If you've ever talked to a silversmith, you know that for a silversmith, in the process of making silver, you're not finished until the silversmith can look into the silver and see her own image reflecting back at her. So likewise, we are the same. 
Our lives should be one where our creator can look into our hearts and into our behaviors, into our actions, into our words, and into our thoughts and see God's image reflecting back. And that's a little different. It's easy to think about that as individuals. It's maybe easy to think about in our minds, okay, what is it truly that is not helpful? What is it in my life that's causing me harm? And what is it that I need to strengthen and focus? That's a little easier to do as individuals sometimes. But remember, Malachi isn't just talking to one person. Malachi is talking to the church. Malachi is talking to like, all of the people who call on the same name of the Lord. And that's a little harder. Because maybe you haven't noticed, but church, we like things the way that we like things. (laughs) And so the question is, as a body of faith, as a community, what are the parts of our behavior and of our rituals and of our traditions and of the way we've always done it, what parts do we need to let burn off so that we can truly be strengthened and focused as a worshiping faith community? So I'll ask again, as a church, as a local church, as the global church, as a universal church, what are the prejudices and judgments that are making us weak? What are the conversations that we're having that are not helpful? What's our behavior doing to cause harm for other people? And when are we going to be a body of faith where people can look into it only to see God's image reflecting back at them. These words of Malachi, they may sound familiar because actually they're in a very famous musical piece. I don't know if you've ever heard of the composer Handel. He may have written a song called The Messiah. The very first time Handel's Messiah was sung and played was in 1741. And as soon as it was finished, everybody clapped and thought it was wonderful. And Handel said, I did not write that to entertain. I wrote it to help people. We are not called as a church to entertain, to entertain our neighbor or entertain one another. We are called to help one another and hold one another so that we can be stronger together. I want to read to you a story. It's actually uh, written by Dr. Sharon Rhodes Wicket. At the annual conference, of the Methodist Church in Sierra Leone, West Africa. The meetings were held in a very large sanctuary in the capital city, Freetown. 
each day as we entered the large doors into the sanctuary, there was a young girl, maybe about the age of eight, and she begged at the door. She looked ragged and dirty, and her hair was matted, and it was knotty, and she had on these tattered clothes, and no one seemed to know her, and people brushed her aside upon entering, and some of the pastors even tried to tell her to go away. We're busy here doing the work of the church. And she was a bother. This went on for several days. And as I sat in the pew observing conference one day and voting on whether or not I agreed with the question at hand, my peripheral vision caught some motion outside. I looked out of the window and there on the patio outside the sanctuary was a woman, a lay member of the conference. And she had a bucket and a bar of soap. And although dressed in a beautiful, traditional tie-dye gown, she pushed up her sleeves and she was giving that eight-year-old girl a bath. She soaped up her hair and was tenderly making her all clean and new. And she washed the clothes the child had been wearing and spread them out on the bushes for the sun to dry them. And the woman went out and got another dress for her to wear. Hundreds of pastors and hundreds of devoted laypersons had poured into the Methodist church sanctuary in Freetown to do the work of the church. But outside on the edges, quietly and without notice, the work of redemption, the work of the one who is to come, the work of Jesus was being done. It was not the work of committees or reports or programs. It was the work of soap and water and human touch and being able to see the face of Jesus and that abandoned eight-year-old girl. And I sat and I asked myself, how did I miss that? I know a lot of questions on Sundays are usually, was the sermon boring or long? <laughs> Who'd you see? Who was not there? Well, did they talk about this or did they talk about that? But maybe we should start to ask ourselves another question. Have you had a good question today? Amen.